Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, the most trusted name in certified organic clean food. When you shop online at EdenFoods.com, enter the coupon code ORGVIEW to receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. For other promotional offers, please visit TheOrganicView.com's website. And don't forget to check out our contest section. Once again, the EPA is being sued by the Center for Food Safety in regards to issues concerning pesticide-coated seeds. On today's show, Tom and I will be joined by Amy Van Son from the Center for Food Safety to talk about the case. First, I'd like to welcome to the show my co-host, Colorado beekeeper, Mr. Tom Theobald. Hello, Tom. Hello, June. And hello, Amy. And our guest today, Ms. Amy Van Son. Good afternoon, Amy, and thank you for joining us. Uh, good afternoon to both of you. Thank you so much for having me. Amy, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and also about the Center for Food Safety and what they do? Sure. I'm an attorney with the Center for Food Safety, and we are a national nonprofit uh, public interest and environmental group, and we work on issues related to protecting human health and the environment from various harmful food production technologies, and we also promote organic and other forms of sustainable agriculture. So we basically work on anything having to, you know, having to do with the food system and uh, how it affects human health and the environment. And we do that through uh, several different means. We use consumer education and market campaigns, as well as doing reports, including you know, scientific policy reports, other materials, um, and then legal actions when necessary, including a pretty active body of litigation. And I'm part of the legal team that works on those cases. So some of the issues that I work on with Center for Food Safety include, of course, pollinators and pesticides and genetic engineering, factory farming, aquaculture, food labeling, kind of run the gamut of different issues. So, uh, of course, the case that we are talking about today falls in the pollinators and pesticides line of issues. Thank you. Amy, can you share with our listeners the background regarding this suit? Sure. Basically, to summarize, the case uh, we have is challenging EPA's failure to regulate seeds that are coated with neonicotinoids, which are dangerous neurotoxins that harm and kill bees and other pollinators, as well as fish and birds. And I know your listeners are familiar with those. Uh, The goal of the lawsuit is to end EPA's loophole that allows the unchecked planting of these toxic seeds on nearly 150 million acres. And for reference, uh, 150 million acres is the size of one and a half California's or uh, nearly half of all of the cropland that's planted in the country. So it's a, a huge use of the, this neonicotinoid, you know, these pesticides, um, and is the largest use is, is the, on the seed coatings themselves. The reason that we felt we need to bring this case is because we had people, a lot of beekeepers and other farmers and other groups coming to us and saying, you know, these, these coated seeds, uh, EPA is not doing anything about these, and they're killing our bees and harming our soils. And so we looked at it and uh, felt that under the statute that uh, governs pesticide regulation, these should actually be registered as pesticides. But EPA has uh, a policy of not registering, not requiring registration or regulating at all these coated seeds. Um, They do uh, regulate the liquid coating products that are used to coat the seeds, but do not take into account the full impact of these seeds, which 
is huge. Uh, The way that these seeds work is that um, they're coated with these pesticides, but then 90 or more than 90% of that coating actually comes off. And it comes off through dust when these seeds are planted, and it comes off in, it's fluffed off in the soil and gets into uh, soil and surrounding water bodies, and the dust uh, goes off to other plants. And so it gets, uh, there's many routes of exposure to bees and other pollinators, and then, you know, it's getting into all of our water bodies across the country and exposing, you know, tons of non-target wildlife. So, given that broad harm, uh, we thought, you know, we really need to bring this case to address this issue. It's such a huge loophole that EPA has created here, and it's unlawful. And so, uh, we brought the suit in January of this year. Amy, I have a question. For the listeners, maybe you can explain how this exclusion came to pass. Why is there an exclusion, and, and why what appears to most of us to be a pesticide use be excluded from regulation and oversight by the EPA? Sure. So uh, I agree, yes. Under the statute that governs pesticides, there's a very broad definition of pesticide, right? It's any substance that's intended to harm or kill a pest. So certainly under the black letter law of uh, the the statute, these would be considered pesticides that should be regulated. Now, uh, EPA does have the authority to exempt certain pesticides. Uh, They have to meet certain criteria. And basically, you know, they can't be, you know, so harmful. They can't uh, be of the character that needs to be regulated. So in 1988, EPA created an exemption for what they call treated articles, which is items that are treated with pesticides just to protect the article themselves. So the example that they give in the regulation is wood that's treated to protect just the wood from pests. Um, so, you know, previously, though, EPA has interpreted this treated article exemption to only cover articles that have no pesticidal effect beyond the article themselves. Uh, these seeds, of course, have a huge pesticidal effect beyond the article themselves, and in fact, that is what they're intended to do. At some point in the last, we don't know exactly when, EPA changed its mind and decided that these neonicoated seeds, despite having that effect way beyond the seed, uh, should also be exempt and has a policy of not regulating them. Uh, the public statement of this policy came for the first time in 2013 in a guidance that EPA put out to investigators when they were investigating bee kills to determine if they were from a legal or illegal pesticide use. So, that, you know, this is following 2012, huge bee kills, as I know you know, in that year that were, that were linked to, among other things, you know, dust off from coated seeds with these neonicotinoid pesticides. And so from that, EPA said, well, we need to advise our uh, investigators when they're looking into these bee kills to determine if, you know, that pesticide that killed the bees was legal or illegally used. In that context, EPA noted in this, in this guidance, uh, treated seeds are considered, uh, you know, treated article exempt and they are therefore not a pesticide use. And so that's the basis of our case, is looking at that focal point of 2013 when EPA first publicly stated that it had this policy. Now, of course, this policy went back, you know, before that because there's no time at which EPA has ever required the registration of these seeds as pesticides. So part of our case was trying to figure out, you know, well, did EPA have this policy earlier or really did it start in, you know, the first public announcement was 2013, and so that's been the kind of focus of our case. Isn't it true that the majority of the seeds that are available to farmers are already treated before they're even sold? It's true, uh, certainly for certain crops. 
corn uh, being a huge one, and soy as well, you know, some of the major field crops tend to be coated uh, or treated with a number of different things. So they're, they're treated with things like fungicides, you know, in addition to this, this specific class of pesticides. And uh, some of those, you know, are meant to actually protect the seed when it's in the ground or in the bag, uh, unlike these neonics, which are meant to protect the living plant from insects that attack the living plant. Uh, there are some, to my knowledge, you know, some cases where farmers will coat the seeds themselves, in the, uh, but I think that the majority certainly are coated in, you know, a, a factory somewhere and then sold pre-coated. You had a hearing a week ago Thursday on November 3rd, and I read a news article that where the judge was quoted as saying that entering into this, he was leaning toward allowing the EPA to have its way, and it, yet it seems that you have changed his mind, and he is taking a lot of this under advisement. One of the issues was that about 5,000 documents had been withheld. Is he now reviewing those documents? Is that part of what he's doing? Well, you definitely bring up uh, your, your summary is accurate of what happened uh, at the hearing. He did come in saying he was leaning towards ruling for the EPA on these sort of threshold issues of whether or not our case could actually be heard, whether or not EPA has taken an action that we could challenge. And um, and then in the course of that hearing, we did, I think, successfully give him a lot to think about in, in terms of claims that we were bringing uh, that he didn't fully, hadn't fully uh, understood yet, and then the issue of the 5,000 documents. So EPA only produced to us 200 pages, or excuse me, it's 5,000 pages of documents. They produced only 200 pages uh, to us initially, and we challenged that saying, you know, surely uh, this in creating this exemption, you have much more out there than these measly 200 pages. And the court, instead of ordering them to produce the extra documents to us, ordered them to produce them to the court so he could do what's called an in-camera review of those pages. And it's a little unclear to me whether the court had undertaken that review by the time we went to the hearing. Surely I think the court will be undertaking that review now because uh, the way that the judge certainly um, was clear that he didn't, he didn't fully trust EPA to include all the relevant documents in, in the record. Uh, he said during the hearing that he used to work at the DOJ and that at least back when he was there, uh, there was some pretty shady things going on in terms of hiding documents uh, when, when compiling the record. So uh, ideally, you know, we were saying we would prefer to get the documents so that we could review them and then show the court what we think is important. And the court actually could still order that. And um, I think the court's still considering and hopefully looking at the documents, hopefully find something, or uh, lets us actually look through them and try to find some evidence of uh, EPA coming to this decision to uh, have exempt these seeds. Do you have any estimate as to what the timing may be when we may hear something further? Well, the judge said it, it would be a matter of weeks, so um, hopefully soon. Of course, these things can take more time. <laughs> it's hard it's, to it's tell if you get busy. It's my understanding that the EPA is not defending the practice of using these seed coatings, but is questioning whether the beekeepers have any standing under the law. And in other words, they don't consider this to be an application. And yet CropLife, one of the interveners, is claiming at the same time that it is a safer application. So 
One of them is saying it's not a, an application, the other is. What does that all mean? Well, the EPA certainly hasn't made any argument as to the merits of their exemption. So whether or not uh, the, the exemption that they have is uh, legal or illegal under FIFRA, uh, the pesticide regulation statute. So they, they, you know, their policy has been they don't require registration of these seeds as pesticides. They're not they haven't really denied that policy, and they've just challenged us on our ability to challenge that policy under the sort of tricky issues of administrative law in terms of whether or not, you know, a plaintiff can come in and challenge an agency action or inaction in court. You know, there are, there are, there are limits to what plaintiffs can challenge when, you know, agencies do things. And so they, they have put all of their eggs in that basket of trying to get us out of court and not actually looking at what they've done here. And, I mean, I hate to speculate, but, of course, it's our position that what they've done here is very clearly unlawful. And so they don't want to get to that point of being uh, of being reviewed on that. Now, the interveners, as you bring up, add some really interesting, you know, points to this because they have essentially said, if you take away these coated seeds, we'll have to spray with more pesticides. And so, therefore, they're admitting that, you know, these, the use of these coated seeds is like an application of pesticides. And, you know, of course it is. It's a no-brainer. Uh, over 90% of these coatings come off of these seeds, and the way neonics are um, structured is that they're systemic. And so they actually absorb into the plant and then are um, shown throughout all the living tissues, including the nectar and the pollen and everything. And so they're, they're meant to protect against insects that attack the living plant uh, and thereby replace other pesticides that have been registered for that purpose of spraying, you know, spraying over top. So uh, just by the interveners, the crop life, you know, folks being involved, it's really an admission that this isn't, this is completely a pesticide use, but it is unregulated. And they want to keep it that way because their clients are, of course, the ones who make those pesticides. I spoke with Graham White this morning, who's a beekeeper in Scotland, and he asked me to mention that the, uh, the same loophole is used in Europe, the same exclusion. So any decision reached in this case will have much broader implications than just the United States. Right. Well, to my knowledge, uh, Europe, uh, much of Europe has actually, you know, reduced heavily their use of, of neonics, and at the same time that we were increasing our use, so, or not decreasing it much at all. And they've, you know, found that they've got great yields that are actually, you know, going higher than the yields we've been getting here, uh, but... Certainly, the U.S. does seem to set a lot of the policy for the rest of the world in terms of, you know, agriculture production and the seeds and, and pesticides that we um, export to the rest of the world. So our case definitely, I would say, will have a huge impact um, should we be successful, surely not only in the U.S., but, but there. And, you know, we're talking about the biggest use of neonicotinoid pesticides, you know, is in these coated seeds. So, uh, if we're successful and EPA has to start registering these things, then, uh, you know, ideally we would see uh, a much smaller use uh, of these seeds or no use at all uh, when they look at the real impacts of them. Amy, if you aren't successful, what does this mean for the beekeepers? Well, um, our case is challenging this broad loophole, but you can always – continue to challenge registrations of new product, you know, new uses, new products, and new active ingredients. 
And so we have other cases where we're challenging um, the act, a couple of the different active ingredients that fall within the class of neonicotinoids, and that case is um, ongoing as well. And if we're successful there, that would have a big impact. And then, um, you know, you can challenge the registrations as they come, like the sulfloxiflor registration is one of the recent ones that um, beekeepers and environmental attorneys were successful at challenging and having that registration uh, thrown out by the court. So there are other avenues to get at this problem. This is just one. Our, this case was to try to, you know, really get at the, you know, 5,000 um, feet level and just, you know, look at the whole loophole as, a, as an overall policy. But... Um, we can still keep fighting uh, in the courts, and then I think also, you know, there's a lot to be done in uh, consumer and farmer education to try to have a, you know, grassroots effect, a bottom-up effect, uh, to try to limit the use of these pesticides and have, you know, beekeepers' concerns be heard and acted on by consumers and farmers. And, you know, there's also the state-level actions. Um, some states have been, you know, looking at stopping the use of neonics in, you know, by consumers, households, that is, and others, you know, are trying to compensate beekeepers when their uh, bees are harmed or killed. So, you know, there's a lot of other avenues, and, uh, you know, if we're not successful, I mean, of course, I hope we are, but if we're not, then we will certainly keep fighting on this issue. Amy, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Could you share with our listeners any other efforts that you're involved with? Sure. I think if people want to get involved and help, I encourage you to visit our website, which is centerforfoodsafety.org, and there you can take our Bee Protective Pledge, which gives you um, ways that as a consumer and a resident of you know, a house, how you can uh, help pollinators and help create good habitat for pollinators and you know, little changes in buying habits uh, that, can, that can help with this issue. Another uh, way you can get involved is we have an ongoing popcorn campaign to try to get popcorn companies to change their seeds, uh, their corn seeds from coated seeds to ones that do not have neonics. So you can get involved with us that way. And I think another way that people can, you know, help is to try and buy organic as much as you can. Organic farms uh, can't use these type of insecticides. So uh, just, you know, in, increasing our demand for uh, products and food that are made without these neonicotinoids and then not using them ourselves is really helpful. And I would certainly say to all the beekeepers out there, you know, keep keep being active and, um, and you know, keep recording the problem, keep fighting, keep making your voices heard. And, uh, you know, working together, I think that so far we've been very successful in working together with the, you know, environmental public interest community and the uh, beekeeper community. So uh, let's keep, keep that momentum going and uh, certainly support Center for Food Safety. Thank you, Amy. Amy, I would just like to thank you for your efforts and, and the other attorneys and the Center for Food Safety for taking on this challenge and also the beekeepers and farmers who have taken the initiative, stuck their necks out as plaintiffs in this lawsuit, and it's a very important issue. This is a major use of these chemicals, and it's going unregulated and unmonitored, and we're very concerned. So thank you for your efforts, and we hope for the best. Thank you. And, folks, please tune in next week as Tom and I continue the discussion about the impact of neonicotinoids. Thank you for tuning in. This has been June Sawyer for the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon.